group. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, hour two of your Friday edition, your Friday the 13th edition of Justice and Drew is underway. 651-989-5855 is the phone number. I am Drew, that man over there is John Justice, and we've got a, an extraordinary lawyer extraordinary. in studio, lawyer extraordinaire Jeff O'Brien. Good to be here. In-house legal counsel. It's been a while that I've been in-house. I know. It's nice to have you. The brightest legal mind we know, and we're going we're gonna to pick it with a fine-tube comb. You must only know one legal mind, then. We have so <laughs> many are, questions so for many you. Questions. These are not billable hours. Okay. I just want to make sure. Right, I'll turn the meter off. <laughs> fine. And everybody understands. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay, because I got things well beyond the election <laughs> yeah, that's on a more personal matter that I need to run through with. I do have a, a Friday news quiz chambered up and ready to go coming up at 835. So uh, Jeff O'Brien will be competing in his first ever Friday news quiz against our lovely, talented, radiant producer, Samantha. i got to be honest. I'm a little scared. <laughs> I've never be. gone up against a legal, such a legal mind such as yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Some may call him a legal eagle. A legal eagle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I said that. That was That's, bad. This, I'm this. fine with legal eagle. No, I'll own it. I'll take it. <laughs> we got one more item to get to in Sam's Top 5. We will do that in a moment. But first, friend of the show, Rob Dore. Good to hear from you, buddy. What's up, man? What's going on, Rob? So uh, I wanted to give a little bit more context to the story about uh, Dave Tomasoni being elected as president of the Senate. Um, you did a good job covering the dominoes of of, of Rob, Jeremy Miller, who's Rob, the current president. Rob, Rob, the, Rob, real quick. This isn't a butt, actually. <laughs> What's oh, that? Is this is this a butt actually? Hang on, oh, no, no. Rob. Did oh, okay, you call okay. in a butt actually? Right. Me? Just want to clear. You. Just want to clear. I, yeah. No, no, no. Drew, Drew did a good job. I'm okay. just adding right. a little bit extra. Okay. There's okay. no, there's right. no butt actually. Okay, good. All right. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. Because, this, this phone well, call can Jer- continue. Jeremy Miller, he represents the Winona area, and that area is a little bit competitive. I mean, it definitely tilts Republican, but it's a little bit competitive. So the dominoes could fall to where if Jeremy Miller gets elevated to lieutenant governor, they would have a chance of picking up that seat in this special election, which in turn would give them control because they've got a one deep majority, which give, would give the Democrats control of the Senate. So it's, it, it's a, it's a lot of gameplay, but the legislative session doesn't start until January 5th. Uh, the regular session, that is, you know, forget all these special sessions. Uh, and, the, and really the duties of the president are pretty much to preside over the body. They vote on points of order, or points of germaneness and things like that. And Republicans still have the vote to override Dave Tomasoni if they disagree with how he rules on an order. Dave Tomasoni's seat, it, that area voted for Trump. So if they did decide to elevate him to lieutenant governor, the Republicans would then have a chance of actually picking up an extra seat. Right. Does this in move in your mind, Rob, does it hamstring Governor Walls a little bit if, you know, we, we, we do get that with Biden is the president and he does uh, he does nominate Amy Klobuchar for, for some sort of cabinet position. That Senate seat opens up. Does it does it tie his hands somewhat in, in who he can? I mean, I guess it only ties his hands if he was dead set on picking uh, Peggy Flanagan. I mean, he could pick literally anybody else. Yeah, well, you know, I think it doesn't necessarily tie his hands, but it definitely makes appointing Flanagan less attractive because then that opens up the potential for Republicans to gain another seat in the Senate. Yeah. 
No, appreciate it, Rob Dorr. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your clarification and 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 providing a little more context. And, and no, but actually, and no, but actually, uh, thank uh, you so much. Yeah, he, was, you, Rob. he was she was on a tightrope there, but I think we got through it just fine. We're very sensitive to the butt actuallys on the show. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I know. And, all, and all that we've done is open. Uh, I don't want to go into Twitter. Oh my god! Yeah. I don't want to go Twitter part. I don't want to go anywhere. You just you online. Just, you just exposed your soft underbelly. I, I, I know. <laughs> Thankfully, I have enough. I have enough people who want to take advantage of my of my soft underbelly that are muted. <laughs> So, but actually, I don't care. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up uh, Sam's top five before moving on. Number five. The Dollar General is coming to Nicolette Mall in 2021 with an urban format. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's going to be fancy. From the Star Tribune, Dollar General has leased much of the long, vacant first floor of a historic building on Nicolette Mall at Fifth Street with plans to open a new concept store that is more upscale than its traditional discount mer- merchandising chain. <laughs> the DG- I have a hard time picturing that. Oh, get ready. Get ready. They're um, calling it DGX Minneapolis. <laughs> it will bring groceries, grab-and-go salads, toiletries, toys, and household pet and beauty products to the 1898-era Andrews Building at 500 Nicolette Mall in downtown Minneapolis. Sounds like a Kmart. It does kind of sound like a Kmart, except Kmart. everything will co- cost a dollar, I guess. Well, no, because <laughs> well, it's DGX. It's not Dollar General there. It's DGX. Oh, they did. I was going to say, they should really just change that. They should really make it more flashy, and they did. So they cool. did. Okay. Yeah. I'm down with that. It broadens it up a little bit yeah. in terms yeah. of, how the, of how they can pray. They're not, they're not stuck in that dollar box. <laughs> the DGX. The 6,000-square-foot store is expected to open early next year and will occupy space that has been vacant for about 15 or 16 years. That's according to the managing principal of the Tricoastal Group. This falls into the category that I have of like automobiles. It's like, why can't an inexpensive automobile maker make a good looking car mm-hmm. like just do that just if you they're, they're cheap cars just make them better just make them better looking so i like the fact that they rebranded to make it sound a little flashier kind of nice well i mean think of all the local locally owned businesses that we've lost in downtown minneapolis and st paul i mean how many restaurants have closed mm-hmm. up how many local retailers have closed up shop and i've got nothing against dollar general i'm not a sort of peaky's up shop where you want to shop man i don't i don't care but it it, it does seem like you know the direction that downtown Minneapolis is going. <laughs> is that a strip mall? Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe that's just me, but... No, I'm with you. I, I, I feel like... It, you know, it's funny that you're really? talking about this. I, I was just what, what I was attending a, a online seminar today, and they had a real estate real estate market update, and they were talking about Minneapolis. and they're and the, the 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 speaker was saying, you know, businesses are just fed up there. You know, they're not. They said, a lot of them are saying we're not taking the boards down until you get your act together. So I can, you know, wonder if this DGX is just gonna, you know, they're gonna, you know, construct their space and immediately put plywood over the windows. Yeah, well, they might want to. They might want to, you know, and, and the, the problem is it's like bigger companies like this, they can withstand a lot of the, a lot of the red tape and bureaucratic hurdles that come with trying to open a business in a place as oppressive as Minneapolis, as, you know, as hostile as that is to the business community. It's a lot easier for a big corporation to kind of wheel their way and, 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 and navigate their way through the bureaucracy than it is, you know, just a mom and pop or a local restaurateur or something like that. So I think, you know, when you see moves like this being made, locally owned places closing down corporations moving in that is not indicative of a healthy business environment in my opinion no not at all and jeff o'brien would be the one to know good job sam stellar top five thank you
I just I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I just want to throw it out there because I think uh, it's going to be interesting. So Sam will grab. I, I sent her a piece of audio and landed on Twitter. I'm going to save it to what it is until we get further into our conversation. But you're gonna want to. You're going to want to hear this. Drew, I don't think you've seen this yet. So we'll uh, once Sam gets it, we'll play it. Um, Jeff O'Brien, good morning, sir. Good morning. Got a lot to get to with you. Let's Before we get into the election stuff, because there's a lot of ground to cover in this, in this election, um, let's start off with the Affordable Care Act and the, the Supreme Court hearing that took place um, this week. Uh, we know that there was some signaling that it looks like the Supreme Court is probably going to keep what's left intact. Um, can I hand it off to you to kind of break it down, uh, break it down a bit for us, and what they what they said in the expectation here? Yeah, you know that, that was. I think that the 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 commentary I've read kind of taken away from the oral arguments and so the questions of the justices is that, and this has always been kind of speculated. Anyone other than the the Democrats who were trying to kind of fan the flames during uh, now Justice Barrett's confirmation hearings have believed that this this lawsuit was on shaky ground to start out with. I mean, the lawsuit is since the is is the is the, it's a question of severability. Is do you lose the entire Affordable Care Act because there's no longer the individual mandate? And just Chief Justice Roberts, when he did the initial opinion upholding the constitutionality of the act, based it on the tax. You know the taxing authority, and since there's no tax and there's no you know penalty, right? Is is it still valid? Um, you know, it's it's I I don't I don't think anybody thought it was going to go anywhere. It's just kind of more there's kind of more smoke than fire. So I'm not surprised that that they're you know inclined to they're looking at they're going to just uphold it because again you know we talked about this came this come up comes up a lot anytime there's a, a justice confirmed and the the court tilts a different way you know they have this principle of stare decisis and these 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 um these decisions don't have to be on the books very long to start having the the effect of legal of binding legal precedent and it's hard to you know just flip the you know reverse a decision sure. because of a change in the court. This was, um, if you recall, last session there was the um, the abortion restriction law down in Louisiana, um, the the inf- the where the 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 doc- the the med- the, doc- the um, med- being needing to have uh, admitting privileges at a hospital in order to perform abortions. And Chief Justice Roberts previously had voted against you know, uh, upholding this law, and in this session voted wrote the opinion upholding it, and basically said, "Well, we did it before; we can't really change it now." So it's it's hard to once once one once a law has been upheld as constitutional, even if it's a year, two years, three years, right. five years, it's hard to it's hard to to toss it out. Now I haven't followed this enough, so I, I so I I could be wrong in this in this assessment. So I mean, and everybody's open to but actually, if they want to, um, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. But I mean, the individual mandate was the big deal. Was yeah. forcing people to go to 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 go and have to do this. Um, this seems a little. I don't want to. Say, I don't know if trite's the right word, but it seems like we just want to root it out to root it out because we said we were going to root it out, even though we already got rid of the thing that we were really most upset about. Is that a fairly if you're looking at it from a partisan lens, is that a, is that is that a fair assessment, Drew? Do you think is that where your head's kind of kind of is on it? You yeah. know, Jeff O'Brien. I, yeah, I think at this point, I mean, it was the the individual mandate was the the piece of it that most people had a problem with. You know, having to pay a be forced to go obtain health insurance or pay a fine. Right, um, that's gone. 
depend, you know, I don't know that, you know, you're going to have to, how you're going, how they would try to, you know, if, if, you know, if Joe Biden's the president, how they would try to reenact that. I think you have to go back through, through Congress to, to uh, change it. I, I read this more as a rebuke of the last Congress. Like that they had the opportunity to yeah. just repeal it. Mm-hmm. Just repeal the law altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Send it to President Trump's desk and they were too cowardly to do that. And and when I and I'm I feel like I'm in the minority of the in this, you know, in this on on the right, but when I see the Supreme Court make a decision like this and I read the rationale behind the decision, it's just I, I like it. Because it, to me, it's going to, it's pointing to Congress and saying, if you want this law repealed, repeal it. Stop coming to us and trying to get us to do your job. Our job is not to take bad laws and laws you don't like off the books. You know, our job is to determine whether or not they can right. exist and whether. Well, or not and that was, and that was, you know, when I when I originally read the the, the Chief Justice's opinion upholding the law. You know, back in 2012, it was, remember it was, it was it was 12 because it was the same year. It was when uh, we had the presidential election. Yeah. I read Chief the Chief Justice's opinion, kind of like if you don't like it, vote differently. Yes. Stop coming to us to yes. clean this up. Yeah, I and I respect that. I yeah. mean, that that to me, you talk about wanting judges who know their role, who know what the role of the judicial branch is, who aren't going to be activists, who aren't going to legislate from the bench. That's exactly what that is. Right. That's exactly. If you don't like this law, right, don't come to us and try to get get us to to strike it from the books or deem it unconstitutional when it's not. You know, maybe the mandate is obviously, you know, but but the overall, you know, everything outside of that, stop coming to us. Congress, do your job. And American people, if you don't like the Congress, the job that Congress is doing, stop getting mad at us. Elect right. better congressmen. Law- lawyers and courts can only fix so much, right? You know, you see all uh, watching all the you know the lawsuits about with the presidential election, and I see a lot on social media a lot of people complaining about you know some tweet from a Democrat Secretary of State from two three years ago about President Trump, and my thought was. Republicans need to find better candidates for Secretary of State in in various states and get them elected. Yeah, you wouldn't have these problems here instead of sitting here Democrats fighting in the courts. Instead of fighting in the courts over decisions of the Secretary of State, just win the damn office. Yeah. Yeah, Democrats figured that out well before Republicans. I don't even know if Republicans have figured it out yet. No. But that's why they, you know, they, they don't take the Secretary of State office for granted. They don't take the Attorney General office for granted. They understand that these offices have power and that they can do things and that they can move the needle in their direction, you know, in, in, in key moments and they can advance their agenda without having to deal with those pesky legislatures. That's right. They understand that. I mean, why do you think Keith Ellison is the Attorney General of Minnesota? They put a lot of emphasis on these offices nationwide not just here in minnesota but all across the nation because they understand they have power absolutely right and republicans tend to sort of just nominate their their c-stringers yeah (laughs) it's usually like well in minnesota of course attorney general and secretary of state are always uh on the ballot the same year the governor is Mm -hmm. so the republicans have a tendency to focus on the governor's race and not and 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 not paying enough attention, in my opinion, to the importance of those other two constitutional offices. Yep. I agree one hundred percent. So I want to um, sort of set the set the stage here as we move over into the election uh, stuff. And uh, again, we got a lot to, a lot of ground to cover with you, Jeff O'Brien. I want to get your thoughts on the Pennsylvania ruling yesterday. We have some rulings that are be coming down uh, this morning at at eleven a.m. Um, 
Also, I made a comment earlier, and I'm curious to get your to get your thoughts on on this. If the you know if the evidence is being presented and all these affidavits that people are sign, signing showing all of these potentials for for fraud, um, if it ends up being true, I'm kind of going. I'm kind of going worst case scenario here. Um, I'm personally seeing a situation where this election could be such a mess to work through that it's deemed invalid. And I know that it could go a long way to have that happen. Um, so let's sort of let's sort of start there. Do you think let's for for the sake of argument, if this if all these things are, are true between the Dominion voting machines and the the changing of the rules beyond the legislature, which is a lot of what these lawsuits are about, these recounting of ballots over and over again that people are a witness to, the throwing away of ballots, do you think there is enough presented if it ends up being true for Congress for the Supreme Court to look at this and go, there's no way we can validate this election. Do you see that as a possibility? I mean, it's it's always theoretically a possibility. And, you know, the, when you know, there's a lot of talk about voter fraud, and I think that's, it's kind of an unfortunate term that we're calling this voter fraud. You know, we have, there are things that can happen. I've been involved 20 years ago when I was first starting to practice, I was involved with the recount of a congressional race in Minnesota. So I've seen how these play out, right? There is a chance that a something could be wrong with a ballot. Okay, now then that at that, that, that time it was a lot of in-person voting. So I agree with a lot of the folks saying on both sides that even if you you know even if some of these things were true, there's not enough votes to flip to change a state from Biden to Trump. And ordinarily, I would agree with that. But given the increased volume that we saw have seen this year with the mail-in ballots and the absentee ballots and how strict the requirements are with signatures and, and all those types of things. And, you know, you, you heard the report about in Wisconsin that they were trying to um, match up. They were filling in signatures with red pen, or you know, match, you know, filling in addresses with red pen on the ba- on the ab- on the envelope where it wasn't completed. I think the the real question here is, and in this that Pennsylvania affidavit, Drew, that you posted on on Twitter, um, to what extent did election officials try to cure otherwise right. invalid ballots? And how much of that is, is, is that enough this time because of the volume of, of mail-in ballots? Is that enough to flip a state? We'll run through. I want to do this real quick. And Drew, indulge me here. We'll run through coming up in a moment the, the, the separation of the vote margins in the key states. Your Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada. We'll run through those. What I want to do is real quick as we go to break. We were talking about this. The potential if, this ends up in the hands of Congress to decide, or if there is enough exposure and enough ballots and enough ballots flipped in for Trump to win this. We talked about what ends up happening. Okay, so I'm going to play this clip. We'll go to break. This is your preview. Here's your preview of what you can expect. Right, and I haven't heard this yet. Sam has. This is a preview of what you can expect if Trump ends up winning this election. 
either straight up or if it ends up in the hands of Congress. Welcome to the program, everyone. I'm Christiana Monpour in London. This week, 82 years ago, Kristallnacht happened. It was the Nazis' warning shot across the bow of our human civilization that led to genocide against a whole identity. And in that tower of burning books, it led to an attack on fact, knowledge, history, and truth. After four years of a modern-day assault on those same values by Donald Trump, the Biden-Harris team pledges a return to norm. Wow. There's your preview. 651-989-5855. This is your Friday Roundtable with lawyer extraordinaire Jeff O'Brien. Justice and Drew will be right back. Twin Cities. This Thanksgiving, Twin Cities news talk is challenging our loyal listeners to nominate a friend, family member, or neighbor who they feel could greatly benefit from a brand new furnace from Comfort Matters Heating and Cooling. It's chilly outside. Give somebody a furnace. Follow us at TC News Talk on Twitter to learn more. And to nominate someone, head to TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com keyword contest. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Justice Andrew, along with Sam, we have lawyer extraordinaire Jeff O'Brien joining us in studio. Ready to pick his mind. Ready to pick his legal brain. If you got any questions, uh, you know, give us a call, 651-989-5855. I, well, I didn't mean to. That wasn't the intention of bringing you in, Jeff. But yeah. since Ask got, the lawyer. doesn't think about the election. Just call in and get some free legal advice. There you go. Free legal <laughs> advice all morning. Do you feel used? <laughs> <laughs> It's what I do. <laughs> so right now, um, when really you look at the state of, of where this election is at, um, you still have Arizona and Nevada are there. Um, they're not as I, I don't think there's as much targeting by the by, by the Trump lawyers as there are when you look at Pennsylvania, Georgia and surprisingly Michigan now. And it breaks down. It breaks. It breaks down like this. Arizona has been closing the gap over the course of the past of the past week. Uh, Trump's only down by eleven thousand eleven thousand votes, um, and it was it was as high as fourteen or fifteen, I think, earlier this week. And there's still my understanding is another like one hundred thousand ballots that are still outstanding in Arizona, uh, and a lot of shenanigans going on with the Secretary of State and Nevada. Same situation, thirty six thousand. Although I'm hearing less, I know there's some lawsuits moving through there as well. Um, Michigan's the biggest separation. At 147,000 ballots down. But there's also lawsuits moving through there today that seem really compelling. And we'll get your thoughts on this in a moment, uh, Jeff O'Brien. Um, and then, of course, Pennsylvania, 47,000. And then um, Georgia's only at 14, at 14,000. Right. Um, there's a lawsuit claiming that 40,000-plus fraudulent ballots pumped through Detroit for Joe Biden. Eyewitnesses testifying they saw approximately 40,000 irregular ballots arrive in vehicles with out-of-state plates during the early morning poll worker shift on November 4th. And that's not even the half of it. That's coming out of the Federalist. So it's kind of tough to kind of figure out how we're going to navigate this. So let's start off with the, the ruling yesterday. Um, that took place in in Pennsylvania. Uh, my understanding is there's there's and I don't know and maybe you know this or you don't know this. I don't know if those ballots had been counted yet. These were the ballots that the Supreme Court had asked to be sequestered to be set aside. I don't know if those were in the in the ballot total so far. My understanding is even if they are, there's not enough in there to close that that gap of the forty seven thousand. A lot of people were saying that it's less about overturning ballots right now with that ruling and more about the precedent that it sets moving forward in the other lawsuits. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah, so just so you're clear what we're, t- you know, 
Pennsylvania, there's already a case in, in front of the Supreme Court. They pushed that off until after the election, I think, hoping that there would be a clear winner. Um, but, you know, there's a there's a clause in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1, that says the times, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives. I think it gives another president here someplace, too. It, basically, there's a clause that says that um, the Supreme Court, the, 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 legislate, the state legislature determines the rules for its state's elections. Right. Okay? And we're talking about electing presidential electors, not the president directly, the electors, right? And so that falls to the state legislatures. And the and what the court is looking at is, and all these decisions, you can kind of look at each one of them, going back to the rulings that happened before the election, is if there was if there was a change in the law for this election, who did it? Yeah. Right? And that's what happened here with the absentee ballots, that the, there was that settlement, quote-unquote, settlement agreement between our Secretary of State, Steve Simon, and the outside group where they were going to extend the deadline for for accepting absentee ballots for three days after the election. Right. And the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals said, no, nope. legislatures, that's the legislature's role. He can't do that as the Secretary of State. that He can't enter into a settlement like that and make that change. That's the same issue that's de- that we're dealing with in Pennsylvania, because the Pennsylvania Secretary of State is the one that extended the deadline for three days after the election. That's why those ballots are being separated out, okay? So that's the first, the, one of the first issues to look at is, in, in each of these state lawsuits, is to what extent were there rule changes to this election made by someone other than the state legislature, Okay. That's and and that's I think the, the Wisconsin situation. That's the same thing. The story about these filling in the address on the envelopes. Right. That was the Wisconsin Elections Board that gave election local election officials the instruction to do that, but do it in red pen in case we have a problem with it. Right. Um, so that is to me is uh, the, the one of the first the, the first issues. The other one is and, and, and to, it kind of related to that is this Pennsylvania case. Is they're making the argument that was made in Bush versus Gore. Now Bush versus Gore, that decision they kind of said it only pertains to this. Don't rely on this, but you know the the reasoning is out there. Is this equal protection claim that the, these election officials, the, the Pennsylvania lawsuit, the Trump campaign's lawsuit is the Secretary of State created a two tier voting system by applying you know in person voters had to you know maybe in some cases show id or or you know yep. match their sign the voter roll or do all these things and these mail in ballots they relaxed the rules for that so they essentially uh created a different you know two tiers of 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 voters and it's disenfranchising the in person voters by being so lax with the the security on those absentee or mail-in ballots. Does the real quick, and then we got to go to break. Does the ruling yesterday signal in your mind that that they could that the ruling could also go in favor of Trump on the secondary issue of the two-tier voting um, that that you compare to to Bush v. Gore? Do you, does that first ruling to you signal that, or is it still like, nah? There's enough wiggle room there where they can they could they could decide differently. Well, if I recall, it was yesterday's ruling was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, correct? right? Yeah. So yesterday's was uh, I had it here. Here we go. The ruling follows the court's previous decision to order ballots cast by voters who gave proof of identification between the tenth and twelfth to be separated from ballots fixed on or before the November 9th deadline. My understanding is there's also the issue of whether or not accepting any ballots at all after 
the election date in total was even allowed because I believe they changed those rules those rules as well. Mm-hmm. Let's let, let let's hold off on that. We got we've got some phone calls, people calling in 651-989-5855. Still a lot of ground to cover with this including what kind of ramifications does this have on the other lawsuits that are that are moving forward and you know sort of expectation on whether or not this is going to end up in the Supreme Court. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Welcome back to your Friday the 13th edition of Justice and Drew. So spooky. You could almost say it. Oh, you took it right out of my mouth. I know. I saw you. I saw you chambered up. <laughs> I saw you chamber in a spooky. Well, I kind of, I, I didn't really get all spooky oh. for Halloween this year. So. Yeah, I know. I'm glad. I was too distracted by the chaos. <laughs> I want to get into a little history lesson here. Let me get back to our, our lawyer extraordinaire, Jeff O'Brien. There was a disputed election before. The election, uh, eighteen seventy six. We're going all the way back. Getting in the wayback machine <laughs> between Rutherford B. Hayes and Democrat Samuel Tilden of New York. Back to eighteen seventy six. You see, no, I guess that's more forties and fifties, isn't? They can't go back that far. That's the default. That's about as far back in the in the years of, of, of the days of yore that I can know in I terms am, of my. I, I imagine the eighteen seventy six people just speaking very pinkies up. This was one of the most hostile, controver- uh, controversial campaigns in American history. Tilden won the popular vote and led the Electoral College. But 19 votes from three Republican-controlled states, Louisiana, Florida, and South Carolina, remained disputed. Nineteen? <laughs> are those electoral votes or are those actual votes? I, I think they were electoral. Okay, that makes a little bit more 19 sense. Nineteen people. Yeah, right. Allegations of widespread uh, widespread voter fraud forced Congress to set up a special electoral commission to determine the winner, composed of fifteen congressmen and Supreme Court justices. The commission finally announced their decision only two days before the inauguration. The vote was eight to seven along party lines uh, to award the disputed electoral college votes to Hayes, making him the winner. So. It's been a long time, but we've been through this yeah. before. Well, did, it, people... There was no Twitter in 1876. Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I'm guessing that probably, like... You Most know, people the, didn't know. The, yeah. fif- the 15 people that made the, this decision constituted a pretty vast majority of people that were even aware. Right. <laughs> it would be my guess. Most people didn't know the outcome until the next election, <laughs> who was actually right. president. How did people find out who was even president? You didn't have the Tilden campaign doxing those people? on. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the 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 ruling that came down yesterday. Do you see that? Do you see it playing a level of importance just on those those ninth to twelfth ballots and 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 what the uh, what the standard and precedent was set? Do you see just that ruling yesterday having an impact on the various other lawsuits that we see going going forward, or does it still remain to be seen? No, it still remains to be seen. If that was the, uh, a, a ruling from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, doesn't have any binding precedent in any other state right so if this goes up you know the the supreme court can take this on there's still a question as to what level of deference they're going to give a state court because they've been very clear that federal court should not be changing state election law under that clause that i mentioned before about the elections clause right but i I think there was some chatter from i think one of uh, from kavanaugh's uh has had said something in when they when they first when when they had the the no decision on the on the on taking this before about deferring to the whether or not the state court is kind of included in the 
definition of legislature. I I don't know that that you know that that's the case. So there's still that question out there if they're gonna if they're gonna treat a state court ruling versus different than a federal court ruling. Okay. But if it, I mean, put it this way: if if one of these cases makes it up to the Supreme Court, and they ha- have a ruling that affects cases pending in the other in in the other states, yeah, it could. But that's that's kind of a hypothetical upon hypothetical upon a hypothetical at this point. At this point, the only thing that's in the that's in the radar of the of the Supreme Court right now is Pennsylvania. Okay. We have a lot more ground to cover. Let's go to the phone zone. First, we'll talk with Dave in uh, Burnsville. Good morning, hey Dave. Hey, guys. First off, I just want to thank you for all your hard work. I don't think anybody out in the public here has a clue of what you guys got to do to go through all this and how frustrating it is and sometimes how satisfying it is. <laughs> but number one, I'd like to ask our um, lawyer there is uh, the, fr- the first set for Trump was Russia collusion. That was the insurance policy. There has been no accountability for that as of yet that I know of. The second set is going to be mail-in ballots for the insurance policy. I want to know how we're going to get accountability for that and who's going to pay for doing wrong and lying to the American people and pulling all this garbage to get the faith of the people back in into them. That's that's basically my question, guys. Yeah, add add it to the add it to the I, list. I think <laughs> the process that's playing out now in the courts. I think we have to see how it plays out. If it does turn out that there was something going beyond just irregularities, and instead there was intentional acts, you know, to to change an outcome of an election, you know, every state has legal has criminal penalties for doing that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's, again, there's a lot of hypotheticals here. First step is to find out if there was anything done wrong. Do you think that going forward that the left, the Democrats, um, you know, they pushed mail-in balloting so, so, so hard this election? Just you couldn't turn on your TV for months without a commercial break. Is some, some celebrity wagging their finger at you or some PSA, make a plan to vote, mail in your ballot. Um and obviously, they 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 use the pandemic as a precursor, you know, as a justification for all the mail in balloting. But now that it's here, is this going to be like every other government program? Like we're stuck with it now? They're going to they're going to they're going to want to. Goes back to my earlier cycle? comment. It depends on if the Republicans can get their act together and get secretaries of state in place that and 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 legislatures and governors that make sure that there's that that there's a system in place that that is as close to being fraud proof as possible um you know this i think you hear you hear anecdotally these stories of the mail-in ballots and i know everybody wants to have high turnout and have everybody have a chance to vote but this i mean the 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 safest way to ensure that you're not going to have any funky votes cast is if everybody shows up in person save for people that are in the military or overseas mm-hmm. that fill out an application for an absentee ballot i think that was the big issue is these ballots that in some states that were that were mailed out yeah to the extent they were just mailed out yeah because you don't know who got them right there's no way to have any sort of oversight or or or, or chain of custody 
for a ma- for a ballot that was mailed out to somebody right. and then just returned. Well, and, and you have no idea how many people put their hands on that ballot, how many people were involved in filling out that ballot. You don't even know who filled out that ballot. There's no way to know. You're basically taking That's right. You're just you're just crossing your fingers and, and assuming. Yeah. You're not even taking anybody's word for it. Right. And I would say that there's a there's a there's an interest here in having in, in looking at these elections in these certain states where it was really close, that I think it's beyond just whether or not you can change the outcome of the presidential election. You know, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. There's another set of elections in two years. If there's something going, if, if there's a chance that we could be doing this same type of voting again with mailed ballots, nope. they better figure out yeah. at this point what, if, if, <laughs> what, the, what the probability of error is so they can get it right the next time. Well, I can't believe that we're not breaking down these voting machines, to be honest. And we'll get into a little bit more of this in a moment, especially this tweet that Trump put out yesterday that was pretty compelling. But the mere fact that, I mean, really, when I thought about it, we kind of all trust, right? We just trust when we go, like when we did, when we went to vote early absentee. And I walked up to that machine, and I was like, you know, it's it's me putting my ballot into this machine saying it's recorded. I didn't think twice about it until now I'm going, well, wait a second here. (laughs) You know, why are we, I mean, what, what, what kind of confidence do we have that that machine hasn't been, hasn't been messed with, hasn't been tweaked, hasn't been broken down? Is there a certification process on this or did we just sign off on these Dominion voting machines? They just got sent out and it was like, hey, cool, we're good. Well, I know they, they, they do run tests of the machines before the election. Remember that? I think that was one of the stories I read out of Arizona is the uh, Republican chair and either as a state or the county. It, uh, resigned because Arizona, yeah. they no showed the the yep. test of the machine. Yep. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it, it's in some cases it sounds like things were were being done there. I mean, you you test the machine with the, with observer from both parties there. Um, for these states like Georgia, Wisconsin, potentially Arizona, if it gets close enough yet, I know they have. I think it's a one percent for or a half a percent or something for for Arizona. Um, is the rule for that triggers an automatic recount. And uh, just so everybody knows what a, uh, what a recount is, is they're, they're taking all the ballots, whether it be cast in person or absentee, and the election judges are going through them with observers from both parties yep. that are watching and having the opportunity to challenge. Okay. That's the, that's the insurance policy on the, when you're using these voting machines is if it's close enough where it's with inside the margin of error, you have a process where you act the, the safest way to figure it out. You hand recount the ballots and see if, you know, was an oval. Sometimes if an oval wasn't completely filled in, maybe it doesn't, you know, it's, it, it maybe then it, it counts, but not, you know, that's the kinds of things, like I said, having been, you know, having been a, a, on the legal team for one of these recounts in the past, that's the kind of stuff you look at as we were going through piles of, of potential challenged ballots to determine whether or not they, there was a, an intent to, to vote a certain way. Well, I know one of these lawsuits, too, wants to toss out like 1.2 million ballots because there was no oversight, because we know that Republicans were not allowed to go watch. Because that's supposed to take place up front in the first right. place. We're supposed to have people watching these from both sides when this is happening, and that wasn't happening. They were keeping people away, so that's one of the lawsuits that's moving through as well. 651-989-5855. We've got Representative Tom Emmer coming up here in the next segment, but time to squeeze in a couple of calls. Jerry in Egan, good morning. Hey, guys. Well, you know, like a lot of things Trump's done during his presidency, I feel like this temper tantrum after the election plays into our number one uh, adversary, China's hands. You know, Xi Jinping has been going around for years promoting the idea that you can have prosperity without the messiness of Western democracy, right? You don't have to 
let criminals off because the police obtained evidence illegally or they weren't read their rights. You don't have to let people march down the streets and break windows and burn things. You can just mow them down with machine gun fire. And we always responded, well, those messy things are the price we pay for freedom and democracy. Now Xi Jinping and his cronies can say, well, look, at democracy is a joke, right? The own president of the United States says it is. Elections aren't fair. They're being manipulated behind the scenes by sinister forces, etc. Uh-huh. So, again, I think it's the, the statesmanship thing to do is to step aside like every other president. Oh, yeah. Man. You'd be a good statesman, right? Than, right? For, 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 for statesmanship wrong, reasons, right, Jerry? Go ahead. I'm sorry, guys. I'm talking over you. Yeah, sorry. for for, sorry. Statement, for statesmanship reasons, to be a good statesman, step aside. Just step down. Don't 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 take advantage of any of your legal remedies that you have at your disposal that your that your opponents would would certainly take advantage of if the situations were reversed. Be a good statesman and step down and put the guy in there that takes bribes from China. Is that that then, then China can't say bad things about us? I'm I'm not talking about whether Biden's a great candidate. I'm talking about Trump's behavior post-election. Look at how close the election was in 2016. Okay, Jerry. Hillary conceded at three in the morning. Okay, Jerry. Okay, um, election night. I'm I'm going to agree with you, but but I'm going to agree with you. But you're pinning the grumpiness and the confusion and the division on the wrong person. And I have evidence. Welcome to the program, everyone. I'm Christiana Montour. Nope, sorry. Sam, which one? Oh, here we go. Final question for you. Will you urge your supporters to stay calm while the vote is counted? And will you pledge not to declare victory until the election is independently certified? Yes. And here's the deal. We count the ballots, as you pointed out. Some of these ballots in some states can't even be opened until Election Day. And if there's thousands of ballots, it's going to take time to do it. And by the way, our military, they've been voting by ballots for since the end of the Civil War, in effect. And that's, and that's what's happen, going to happen. Why was it not, why is it for them somehow not fraudulent? It's the same process. It's honest. No one has established at all that there is fraud related to... Jerry, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. That's Joe Biden, the president-elect, according to the media. He's the one who isn't doing what he said he was going to do. Trump is doing what Joe Biden said that he was going to do. So if you want to look at the mess in the country right now and the division, and you're that concerned about how China looks at the way we're conducting things, then put the blame and the onus where it rests. Trump has every right to, to, to push this, to fight this, and to push forward the legal challenges, and he'll fight it out in court. Joe Biden's the one that lied. He's the one that accepted the media's coronation of him being the president-elect. You guys are you guys are diverting from my point. My point isn't whether or not Biden's going to be a great president. It's how presidents should be. I didn't say that. Election. I didn't say that. No, no, no. You're talking about how we look right now. You're talking about how we how these elections look right now and how we look in the eyes of our adversaries. And I'm saying and how po- they use it against us. You're right. Not, point not, I don't point to the guy who's dividing it. Jerry, if, let me finish. Jerry, let me finish. no, no, I'm not going to let you finish because it ain't your damn show. Joe Biden, if he'd done the right thing, Joe Biden would have said, I'm not accepting the media's call. Because this election isn't over yet. This election in Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, right? All these states have not been certified. It's his fault. He's the one. Yeah. He shouldn't be running with the title of president-elect. I mean, if he, wanted, if he really cared about unity, if he really cared about healing, he would be telling the truth. 
And all of the media out there would be telling the truth. And the truth is that some of these states are being challenged by the Trump campaign. And we don't know how those challenges are going to play out. I'm so sick of everybody. Immediately, the moment you bring something up, immediately jumping on and goes, yeah, well, it's not going to change the result. You don't know that. You may believe that. But you don't know that because we haven't even heard the entirety of the complaints coming of the challenges coming from the Trump administration yet. I'm, the media is committing malpractice right now, and they have convincing more than half the country that Joe Biden won this election. No questions asked. Everybody just move on to the next thing. That's not the case. Stop lying to everybody. And I, I look, I like Jerry, and I have a modicum of respect for Jerry. But I'm sorry if you really do care about what our adversaries think of this country, if you really do care about the process and how this plays out, right, you would be wanting to see it through. You would be on the same side of what Biden said just weeks ago and suddenly just forgot about, or he just flat out, it's one or the other, either forgot or he's lying. Probably, but he was lying and he forgot that he lied. But if he did did what he said he was going to do, we wouldn't be in this situation. I would have some respect for the left. If Biden was sitting back going, I'm not accepting this. We're going to let this play out in the courts because that's the proper thing to do. He lied. 651-989-5855. Representative Tom Emmer joins us next.